Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh, for those of us that are together for the first time, please pardon my sitting. And uh, in uh, 2010, I was with the Special Operations Command in Iraq, and uh, I thought I'd be a younger man than I really was. Jumped out of a helicopter and uh, hit wrong and broke my back. They put in 12 screws and two rods. I'm an inch taller and twice as good looking. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm also very humble, and I wrote a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> how to be humble like me, but, uh, thanks for letting me come back. And I, I just, I got to tell you too, that one of the greatest men I've ever known in my life is Jim Morocco. He and I have been buddies for decades. I was started, I started going to his church in Maui when it was a little bitty white building. And it was all, it's, I think it was some little Methodist church or something they assumed. And then it went into a skating rink and then now 500 or so churches around the world, uh, he scares me. I've never, I've never known a man that has so much faith. He, it's just scary in a wonderful, wonderful way. And uh, he, uh, he and I have been together a couple times lately. Uh, and I have been privileged to speak in a lot of the chapels, King chapels around the country. And I hope that my feeling is not totally vain, but I do feel like I am part of the the family of the chapels and King's chapels. I really feel that way. I really, really do. do. And so until you get somebody better looking, <laughs> you're stuck with me. <laughs> I will use a lot of my personal experiences for illustrations. And I do hope that you'll understand. I'm not, I'm not comfortable to talk about some things about myself because it's very, uh, I, be, I feel very vulnerable. I do struggle with post-traumatic stress this or whatever it's called, is where you lose your memory, but I can't remember what it is I was supposed to say. That's a bad joke. Didn't come out right at all. <laughs> You'll notice that I say a lot of things, and then I think about it, when you should think about it and then say. And, but here's the advantage. Uh, if you know and can trust your heart, you can say anything and never come out wrong. If you know your own heart, and you trust your own heart, then you can say what goes through your mind because you have the mind of Christ, not your own. And so I don't worry about if it comes out right. If it goes through my mind, it's the mind of Christ. I'm going to say it, which is to start with, y'all are so beautiful. You really are. You're the most beautiful people in the world. I'm kind of kissing up and loving on you a little bit. I, I needed you. Some of you know that... Uh, my last visit was immediately following a very devastating time in my life when my wife left me for another man. And his name is Jesus. He took her to his place. <laughs> I can laugh about it now because I'm laughing. <laughs> Sometimes I think that uh, you don't listen to me because last time I was here, I told you about the carpet. I'm so allergic to it. It makes my eyes water up a lot here. I'm not emotional. And you didn't change it because it's, it's doing the same thing again. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm uh, messed up, and I know it, and I can't help it, and I don't want to help it. And I'll tell you a little story about it. Uh, after I was injured, 
in the war in Vietnam, for those of us that are together the first time, I don't want to rehash everything for you all the time. But uh, in July of 69, I, I was hit by a white phosphorus hand grenade that took off half my skin. And everything on my face not covered was blown off to the bone. And uh, since then, uh, now almost six years ago, I got a nose, which I'm so proud of. It's, it's a boy. And, uh, I got eyelids and lips. I wouldn't let them change my ear. I wanted to leave my ear alone because I have so much fun with a plastic ear that I never had with a real one. <laughs> Can you take your ear off and leave it? Listen to what people say about you when you're gone. <laughs> well, not another story. I'll get back to the other story I was going to tell you before I tell you this story. Uh, I was on a special program, a special event in Tikrit, Iraq. And uh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We were moving some detainees, better known as prisoners of war. <laughs> And uh, these guys were uh, all very cautious of the fact that we were in a, in a kill zone, war zone. So nobody turns on big lights. Everything was real low-key on lighting. And everybody got off to make a little pit stop, if you understand what that means. And I was the last one getting on board. And I threw on my body armor, which weighed about 60 pounds. It was the really thick one that had the big plates that go in. It was really heavy, and when I threw it on, well, it hit my ear, knocked it off. It landed on the ramp of the C-130 that we were traveling in, and it's dark, 2 o'clock in the morning. I can't find my ear. That sounds stupid, but that's, that's honest God truth. I couldn't find my ear. I said, and I, was, I had four Navy SEALs that are my bodyguards, and I said, hey, guys, help me. I lost my ear. It fell down here on the ramp, and... All you military know what those ramps are like. They got divots and cracks and crevices, and that ear got down in one of those little holes. Man, I didn't want them stepping on it because it cost $25,000 to build this ear, and I didn't want it damaged. And it's really, it, it, they're expensive, but they're really nice for illustrations. <laughs> it fell off, and I was preaching in Jamaica. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. How's that for an illustration? <laughs> That's a true story. So I got four Navy SEALs and myself. We're down with little tiny flashlights. You squeeze and they come on. And we're looking for my ear on the, on the ramp of a C-130 at 2 o'clock in the morning to Crete, Iraq. One of the SEALs looked at me and said, you, you didn't lose your ear. You're just making us look like idiots. And I thought, well, some of you don't need a lot of help, I can tell you that. Because <laughs> they're down there looking for my ear. And one of them said... I can't see well enough to see if there's an ear down here. I said, whoa, 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 wait, one of you is close because I can hear you breathing. <laughs> and one of them said, dude, is it me? <laughs> I thought, and he's defending my country? <laughs> a guy that thinks he's the one breathing into my ear on the deck? Oh, well, anyway. So you learn to have fun with what you got and uh, deal with it, baby, because I'm going to tell you, if you can't deal with some of the stress of life, you're bound to repeat it till it drives you insane. The American Psychiatric Society says that post-traumatic stress is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. A normal reaction to an abnormal situation. For instance, if you walk in and there's, you're in the kitchen, you put your hand down and it's on a hot stove, oh, you pull your hand off and you don't put your... You don't put your hand back on it. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal. That, that should not have been hot. No one's cooking. The stove's on. That's abnormal. You put your hand on you put your hand on. Post-traumatic stress disorder is put your hand back on it. 
and take it off and put it back on it and take it off and put it back on it. Because there's a loop in the brain that if we allow it to continue, we keep doing the same behavior over and over thinking we'll get a different outcome. And that's called insanity. And I want to tell you something, folks. Some of you live in that loop. You're doing the same thing over and over and over. And you're in a place today that's going to deliver you from that loop. You are going to be set free in the house of God this morning. Take it from the man telling you that right now. I saw it in that first service, and I invited folks to stay that, that could. And I want to tell you, we're going to anoint with oil at the end of this service. And the anointing will break the yoke. We're going to stop that looping of the continual putting your hand back on the hot stove. And, you know, I've always said if you keep falling in the same hole, you're going in circles, right? If you keep falling in the same hole, you're going in circles. So if you've got one foot nailed to the floor, you're going in circles. We're going to unhook that foot and set you free today by the power of the Spirit of God that's in this house. And I thought the music was so appropriate for today because in my mind, I see both services, the first and second one, as one event today. That's not normal because I try to duplicate and be exactly, you know, as near as exact without notes. But today I feel like there's a continuation because there's some folks in this service that may have been in the first one, and if not, maybe you saw it, I don't know, did you, was the first one online? So you may have seen it online, then come down here. But as I was sitting here a while ago, and I do apologize for sitting during worship because it's not my nature, but I just, just get up these steps and walking from the back of the church to the front to come in was a job. So I felt bad sitting, but the whole time I was sitting up here, I felt like over and over that God is speaking to some people today for your ultimate deliverance. You have been in such conflict for so long that you've grown accustomed to the pain. You're living with something you should not have to live with. And I know what that feels like. I do. You're not going to live with that anymore. And do something about this carpet next time I come back, please. Y'all are killing me here. And... uh so I brought some scriptures. I'm going to pick up where I left off in that first service this morning. And I'm just going to let the Spirit of the Lord direct the service. Is that all right with you? Uh, I'm reading from John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now, I'm not going to read what Jesus answered yet. I'll get to that in a moment. But the question is out there. Who sinned that he was born blind? I have a real, real big problem with that, that I didn't, I didn't take the time or didn't have the time because of my misuse of time in the first service. I, I got a real problem with the idea that if we sin, God's going to make us blind or God's going to make us sick or God's going to slap us down and God's going to be mean to us because we sin. I, I, thought, I thought Jesus paid for our sin. Because if he didn't pay for all of it, he didn't pay for any of it. Because sin is like leaven in the bread. A little bit, lump, the whole lump is sin. Now let me explain what I'm saying to you. Either Jesus paid it all or he didn't pay for it at all. And some of you are looking at me like, where's he going with this? Well, you need to hear me. I'm sitting here a broken vessel. I was judged by the Veterans Administration to be 240% disabled. How 
Can anybody be twice and a half not? But I managed. 200, now the Navy said, you can't be 240% of anything. You can only be 100%. I said, well, I like the 240%, so pay me for 240%. Eh, <laughs> not going to happen. So they said, you're 100% permanently and totally disabled and unemployable, which I have a little fun with that, and I'll do it in a few seconds. My hand was very high disability because when your hands are damaged, your whole body is affected because you can't tend to yourself properly. And because this hand, these three fingers of thumb were blown off, they, the only finger left attached was that one. They got these back on, but the only thing holding them on was skin. And they got them all back together, but they don't work. But they make a good mic stand. <laughs> and a preaching finger. And the anointing. I am employable. I do have a job. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I didn't let the world label me. I didn't let the world label me. The world said, you can. I said, I can. They said, don't. And I did. So why let the world label you? So I'm getting to my point here that in life, we all get hurt. But I don't want you thinking that God did this to me. God did. Ho Chi Minh shot me as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to rip his little beard off, that little sucker. I mean, Ho Chi Minh was the leader of the Communist Party of all of North Vietnam. But I can love Ho Chi Minh. I got no problem with Ho Chi Minh. You know, I, I can love a communist. I don't like communism. I remember one day we, I was sitting with the Vice President of Vietnam herself, Madam Minh, and uh, I, I said, I don't like communism. She said, I don't like Bill Clinton. I said, well, that, well, you just named it, so whatever it is, she didn't like him. There are things that we disagree on in life, but we don't have to be disagreeable. I hate communism, but I don't hate communists. Does that make clear what I'm trying to say? I hate cancer, but I don't hate the cancer patient. God hates sin, but he doesn't hate the sinner. He loved us all as sinners so much he gave his only begotten son that if any of us would believe in that boy, we could live forever. And that young boy was born as a baby. I mean, just a child growing up and learned obedience to the things he suffered. Jesus suffered. So if suffering is a product of sin, then Jesus really blew it somewhere. You know that ain't so, right? Come on, give me a little help here. So Jesus didn't sin that whenever he was crucified, he paid for his sin. No, no, no. He paid for our sin. Now stay with me a little bit longer because it's imperative you understand why. If you don't get this right, nothing I'm going to say the rest of the morning is going to make sense. God did not do this to Dave Weaver. But it left me with a giant question of why didn't he stop it from happening? If he could put the moon in space, why couldn't he stop a little 7.2, 7.62 bullet coming out of the muzzle of a AK-47? from hitting a hand grenade in my hand six inches from my right ear and blowing it beside my head. Couldn't he have stopped that? Yes, he could have. Why didn't he? That I did not know. And one night on Trinity Broadcast Network, Jan Crouch said to me, David, do you still struggle with things out of that war? And I knew she's asking me about post-traumatic stress disorder. I said, yes, ma'am. I've been very suicidal. I struggled with suicide for years, and I've had that demon on my back. He's oppressed me, but he's never possessed me. And, and he's got me pushed to the limit at times when I, I just, I thought about it, but I just couldn't do that. I just would not do that to my wife and to my children and to myself. It hurt, but I was tempted. She said, well, you know why God let you be scarred, maimed, and burned, don't you? And that was the question I didn't know the answer to. I knew what happened. I knew where it happened. I knew when it happened. 
I knew all the what's, but I didn't know the why. I said, well, no, I don't guess I know why God let me be scarred, maimed, and burned. But I'm thinking this blue-haired wonder, she's about to explain it all to me. I was so mad at her, I could have pinched her head off. And she said, Davy, he didn't stop it from happening. Now listen to me, folks, because what I'm about to tell you is a revelation to somebody in this room right now. And I'm speaking prophetically, and you better listen to me because it'll set you free right now. She said, he didn't do it to you, but he didn't stop it because... He knew he could trust you with the scars. That's what hurt. It wasn't a scar physically hurt. It's when little kids would look at me and scream, Mommy, what is it? I wanted to crawl into a hole and pull the hole in behind me. And that day, after all those years of darkness, living with a suicide demon pestering me constantly, that demon left and has never come back. Never come back. And for all you military, you know the Holly Coe Hotel there in, in Maui. Uh, pardon me, in, uh, in Honolulu. It's on Waikiki Beach. It's a military hotel. It's one of the most beautiful hotels in all the hotels in Hawaii. It's right on the largest beachfront of all the Waikiki beaches. It's military. I was on the 14th floor. I'm an 07 with DOD. I'm rated in 07. I don't have command, but I have, I have rank. I'm pretty rank. <laughs> Oof. That didn't come out right. I should not have thought that and said it either. But the fact is, I'm on the 14th floor. I have the entire Pacific Ocean in front of me. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm wide awake. And the devil, now he doesn't speak to me audibly, and he doesn't show up because I'd really, I think I'd probably try to take him on, and I'd lose without because I'd be trusting in the flesh. I got to trust in the Holy Spirit to fight the devil. Amen. So I'm sitting up there at, four, at three o'clock in the morning and this thought comes to me. In four seconds, if you jump over this balcony, in four seconds you can be with your wife. And I laughed out loud. That I heard my wife. I said, devil, you're an idiot. You know I'm scared of heights. <laughs> I wouldn't have jumped off the bottom floor balcony. Are you kidding me? You see, we are humans. We're frail. We're fragile. We were created to be dependent, not independent. Let me say it again. God created us to be dependent upon him. It's in our independent spirit. I'm not talking about freedom in America as red, white, and blue. I'm talking about being dependent upon a higher power. And they don't make a movie without uh, especially all these movies of aliens. It's all about power and the supernatural and all these gods and lords and fly around. And the only one, I think the only one good looking enough is Wonder Woman. <laughs> the rest of them are all idiots. And she's chief of them, I guess. I, I don't know why we have to have all this flying authority. Everybody's got to fly around with power. You know what it is? It's a subconscious for dependence upon somebody to deliver us from our own selves. And the world's looking for it. From Superman to Ant-Man. The world's looking for somebody of authority to take charge of our life. God created us to be dependent creatures. And in our independence and rebellion against God, look what it brought us. Look where we are today. We're a broken nation. If ever there was a time for the church to stand up and be the church, there was never a better time in modern history than right this moment. 
And I'm going to take a moment that you could think is kissing up, but I ain't, baby. I'm just telling you what God showed me last time I was here, and this time, more even more vehemently. You're about to move in your new building. God put you on a hill, didn't he? The winds blew and tried to blow the house down, didn't it? Guess who's still standing? <laughs> You're still standing. I'm going to tell you, furthermore, the, the bigger the winds, the bigger the fight, the greater the revelation of your importance in the kingdom of God. You are scaring the devil half to death. Think about it. So be encouraged in the middle of the fight. And that's what I wanted to read to you. And it's really, to me, the question of who did sin, this man or his parents, he's born blind, is really ridiculous. And don't take that wrong. I love the disciples. But you got to remember, this is the ninth chapter of John, not the last chapter. They're just getting started in their faith. They're just getting started in their understanding of Christ. They're following Jesus. But they ask a really stupid question. Who sinned? This man experienced that when he's born, he's born blind. How does an unborn child sin so that when he's born, he's blind? I mean, is, it that, is that a fair question? Say yes or no. Good question. Some of you didn't want to say, you thought I was going to catch you. I don't do that to my audiences. See, an unborn child cannot sin. He's born in sin to start with. But until he comes to that age of accountability, he's not held accountable for the sin he's born into until he chooses to accept that as his life and lifestyle. Do you understand that? Say amen. That's called grace, and it's a beautiful thing of God's grace. The other thing that really bothers me about this question is, would his parents sin that when the child is born? The child then has to bear the consequences of the parent's sin. In the spiritual, no. No, that's Old Testament. New Testament, Jesus died for all sin, for everybody. We've already been down that road. But now that does not mean that even today, a crack cocaine mom can give birth to a crack addicted child. It's not the child's fault he's born with that consequence of a mother's sin. But there is consequences to sin that are given to our children. Our lifestyle, our behavior, our language, and what we watch on television, what we allow them to watch on their portable communication device. My dad used to say, every television should be in every home in the attic. Because <laughs> when TV came out, he said, you're not going to have one in this house, boy. I wanted one. I thought, man, that's cool. You get to see Westerns. And my dad said, nope, not going to have one. He said, television would be the thief of family time. What did he know? Used to, family sat around the table and discussed what went on that day. Used to, children sat around the dinner table and gave account of what they did that day. Used to, people actually sat at the table and talked and not texted across the table to each other. Those days are gone. What's the consequence? Oh, Lord, we've given a generation of children the consequence of our sin, but they are not held accountable for that sin unless they adopt it for themselves. And you hear me, they're going to adopt it if we leave them hanging like we're leaving them today. Someone said that if we don't stand for something, they'll fall for anything. And they're doing just that. I speak in public schools, folks. This is what, this is what I do. I, in fact, coming up here very soon, I'm going through a huge tour, tens of thousands and thousands of students in Ohio. That's what I do. Every year I go into the public schools of America, I see the continual disintegration of the family until it's unidentifiable today. You'll find one out of 100 families that have any kind of accountability for those children. Now, what I'm telling you is, I grew up 
with a strict rule. You break the rules, you pay the price. My dad had a belt in the bathroom that said, I need thee every hour on it. <laughs> One man said, my dad applied the board of education to my seat of learning. There's no consequences. There's no, there's no more. Where's the groaning? Where is the groaning in the spirit? Words don't even come out. You just groan in the spirit for a lost generation. Who is interceding on behalf of the children today? Because, well, Ronald Reagan said, democracy is never more than one generation away from extinction. Christianity is not more than one generation away from extinction. And by the way, that generation is in the public schools and universities of campuses of America today. We're in deep trouble, folks. So I'm giving you a lot of bad news, but don't worry. I've got good news coming. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. We know that the unborn child can't sin. We know that the children do not pay the sin of their parents. In other words, because their parents would tell they don't have to in generational sin. Now, are you with me? Some people don't like when I say that because they like to say, well, I'm just a generational curse. I don't have a choice. Don't give me that stuff. And I'm being kind with that word. Don't give me that. Don't be using that as an excuse for you to sin because, well, I'm just condemned because my parents were sinners and I'm only a second generation sinner. No, Jesus died and cursed that sin and you accept it or reject it on your own terms, not your parents or your grandparents. Come on, give me some support. So what's the solution? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents did sin that he was born blind. So Jesus answered that one right off. He said, but that the glory of God might be made manifest. I've got to put that down yet. I'm going to read another scripture for you. That the glory of God might be made manifest in him. You need to understand that Jesus went down the same road we're going down. He was tempted in all manner like we are. Do you understand that? Say amen. amen. Now is my soul troubled. This is red letters, folks. Red letters means Jesus said it. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Can Jesus be under so much stress? This is pre-stress, not post-stress disorder. This is pre-stress disorder. This is what he's getting ready to take. He's about to take on the sin of every one of us in this room. And he says, now is my soul troubled. Jesus had a troubled soul because he was as much human as he was God. And his soul was troubled. And he said, Father... Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? See, it, it's okay for you to question God. It's okay for you to say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. My neighbor, he's a swearing cousin fisherman, and his paint doesn't peel on his house. I serve you every day, and the paint's peeling off my house. Life's not fair. I'm going to eat worms and die. You got it backwards. You die, then the worms eat you. How's that for encouragement? Why doesn't it? Why doesn't? It come out the way it ought to. I mean, if we're going to do right, shouldn't we be the beneficiary of right? And if he's going to do wrong, shouldn't he be the beneficiary of doing wrong? God, where's justice in this? Well, Jesus was struggling. Now is my soul to What shall I say? Father, save me from going through this. Stop this. Well, you better be glad he answered it right because if he didn't, you and I wouldn't be in this room. We'd be hell-bound or long since having already arrived there. Jesus said, nevertheless, 
Not my will. So let this cup pass? No. Let this suffering pass? No, I'll take it. Bring it on. Bring it on. Nevertheless, I'll take it. Because he wanted to do this on behalf of all of us in this room. He put us before himself. Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause. Say cause. cause. Say hour. hour. What's the difference? Cause has no end. It has a permanent, lasting, indefinite, forever. Hour is relegated to 60 minutes. It means it has a beginning, it has a duration, and it has an ending. Jesus said, this hour will pass, but the cause will go forever. One scripture says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. For the cause, he stuck, stuck it out for the purpose. For the, for the, the hour was difficult, but he endured it for the purpose. We are his purpose. We are his purpose. For us, he went through the hour. But he knew the hour would end. On the bank of a river in Vietnam in 1969, yes, teenager, right after the War of 1812, I was hit for an hour. Now, that's not, in this case, 60 minutes. I'm saying it had a beginning. It is in its duration process because I still suffer physically a lot. I don't need your pity. I'm, uh, I'm making it. The day will come when the hour will end because the cause has seen me through every dark turn in the path. The cause is seeing me through every day of my life. If it works for me, baby, it'll work for you. There's no way God loves me more than he loves you. In fact, you got it made. It's me he has to struggle with. And I hope you understand how real I'm trying to speak to you from my heart. So whenever we struggle and we wonder, well, God, what, what about... The suffering thing. Why do good people suffer? Jesus was good people, but his cause saw him through the suffering. And I was reading scriptures the other day, and I came across, I'm not going to read the chapter and verse yet. I'm not even going to tell you the book it's in yet. I'm just going to read what it says, and then I'll tell you where to find it. It's really cool. I didn't get to it in the first service. Sing your songs to Zion dwelling God. That's what you did this morning. He's not just a God. He's a Zion-dwelling God. Tell his stories to everyone you meet. I do that all the time. One time I was sitting on the airplane, I was sharing my story because the, the woman asked me, she said, it looks like you've been hurt. And I said, yes, ma'am, but I'm okay. And uh, she said, well, what does okay mean? I said, well, I'm happy in spite of what happened. She said, why are you happy? I said, well, you asked, so I'm just going to tell you. And I told her my whole story and how Jesus had intervened. And he was so good to me. And it was, it was, uh, what's his name that sang Love Letters in the Sand? Pat Boone. It was his daughter. And she was a Christian. And I was witnessing to a Christian. What a waste of time. <laughs> I said, well, you're already a believer. She said, yes. And I knew your story, but I just wanted to hear it from you. <laughs> Tell your story to a Zion dwelling, uh, tell your story of a Zion dwelling God and, and to everyone you meet. But listen to this, how he tracks down killers. Now I'm reading this from the Message Bible, which I don't use for theological depth. I use it for enjoyable reading. And there's a little difference there. Listen to that again, how he tracks down killers. Who does the Bible describe in John chapter 10, verse 10? 
came not but for to steal, to kill, and, and destroy. God tracks down killers. But while he's tracking down killers, he keeps his eye on us. He registers every whimper and moan. Now get ready, because listen to the next verse. Be kind to me, O God. I'm tired of being kicked around, or I've been kicked around long enough. Psalm 9-11. <laughs> yeah. Have you had a 9-11 in your life lately? I want to tell you that day on September the 11th, 2001. 9-11. God didn't look down and say, what's that smoke? What's going on down there? I woke up and, and something happened while I was... No, no, no. He knew what was happening. He knew before it happened that it was going to happen. Are you listening to me? I got so tired of people saying, well, that bunch of New Yorkers, God judged them. God did that to them because they're sin. If God did that to them because they sinned, there would not be a San Francisco left on the map. No, God didn't do 9-11. God does not do evil. Say it with me. God does not do evil. God didn't shoot me. He didn't stop it because he knew he could trust me with the scars. The highest compliment I've ever been given. I wear in my flesh because God trusted me. It doesn't, it's not impressive to you. It doesn't mean anything. It's not your problem. It's me that had to figure that out. What do you have to figure out for yourself? What have you been blaming God for when he was saying, why are you blaming me for? I trusted you with that. I want to see you through that. I'm going to make something beautiful out of something horrible. I'm going to turn your tragedy into a triumph. That's the way God does it. He trusted you. He's trusting us with something. When the winds blew, you could have said, well, just let the building fall. We're done. But you're going to have the lighthouse on a hill that will shine around the world in King's chapels and continue to be an example of the amazing duration God gives his children. I'm a resiliency trainer for the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program for the Department of Defense. I trained in all four branches, now five with the Space Command. And in my job, I have the awesome responsibility, and I consider it a privilege, to help combat suicides among our active duty. We have so many take their lives, and it tears me up every time I hear of another one. In one case, we had five uh, sailors commit suicide on the same boat in 30 days at sea. There's something wrong there. Today, 22 veterans will commit suicide. Yesterday, I didn't tell you, but... There were 22 years. Oh, and, and tomorrow, 22 more. In three days, 66 will commit suicide. Every 65 minutes, a veteran commits suicide. That's not acceptable. Somebody has to do something. My vision was cast out of pain. My ministry was cast out of misery. I know what it's like to be in that dark place and want to take my life. I know. And some of you need to know I know. And for time's sake, I just don't, I don't have time to tell the whole story. I'll just tell you quickly. A friend of mine shines shoes at the car wash, and it cost me $45 to go get my car washed because I want my shoes shine. And I give the guy that shines my shoes $300 to shine my shoes. That's $345 twice a month. 
because God told me to go because I support that man's church. He's a black gentleman. He's a deacon at the Church of God in Christ in Fort Worth, Texas. He's one of my best friends in my entire life. I love him like, like he's my own flesh and blood. And every time I go, he loves to see me walk through that door. He knows I'm bringing support for his church. And one day I went and he wasn't there. When I asked where he was, he said his wife died. I went back again two weeks later and he wasn't there. At the end of the month, I went back and he wasn't there. And he wasn't there for the next year and the next year. And 10 years later, I walked back in that place and he's there for the first time that I, I quit going because he wasn't there. He wasn't shining my shoes. They were washing my car. He was shining my soul. Because every time we sat down and talked, I left there a better man than when I sat down. Amen. And I asked, when I got back that day, for the first time in 10 years, I sat down beside him. I thought he was sleeping. He's quite elderly now. He's 85. That's not old. <laughs> and I thought he was asleep. His chin was down. I didn't want to wake him, but I guess he remembered my cologne because I don't, my cologne, I've worn the same cologne for decades. And he said, well, not saying I refresh it every shower. <laughs> Some things just don't come out right. And uh, he never even looked at me. He said, hi, Dave. I said, well, Richard, hi. He said, I hadn't seen you on TV lately. I said, no, sir, I, I don't do TV as much. I do most of my, my communication online now. Yeah, most people do now. Now you get it, don't you? He said, and he looked up at me. So what? I'm thinking he's getting dementia. He's losing it. God bless my buddy. No, he said, you, you get it now, don't you? I said, get what, Richard? He knew my wife died. He said, now you get it. You know what it's like to lose the love of your life. I said, oh, Richard, I get it. You see, there's some things that God trusts us with that's not all about us. It's about others. When the founder of the Salvation Army, General Booth, died, the last word past his lips was, others. And it went out in telegrams around the world to all the stations of the Salvation Army. The last word, others. Oh, God. If I could be remembered. That I loved others more than myself. I could be the man of God I want to be. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about those out there that don't have hope. It's let this cup pass. But God, if, it, if you don't let it pass, it's okay. If I can learn. If I can understand the hurt. And I can say, now nah, I get it. Do you get it? We don't go through what we go through is a waste of God's time, our time, or a waste of tears. We go through it for others. Because they don't have what you and I have. We're in the house of God. There won't be a handful of sinners in this house, if that many. But there's a whole bunch of little bitty sinners. In <laughs> I'm teasing you. I don't know who's in this house. How do I know? We don't go to bars and sinners don't go to churches. So how do you resolve this separation, this chasm? We go to where they are. Jesus didn't bring us to heaven to get us right. He came to earth to get us right. He left the azure halls of glory to carry his own murder weapon on his back 
down the cobblestone streets of the Via della Rosa to be planted in a hole suspended between heaven and earth, suffering horrible pain, much greater than the physical, was the knowledge that for the first time the Son of Almighty God knew the condemnation of sin. But he knew, he knew who he was. And he was up for the occasion. And he descended into hell and rendered the keys to death, hell and the grave from the enemy. Overcame and when he arose, we arose with him and we are forever seated at the right hand of God in the throne with Jesus. Come on, come on. I got to work on this tear thing. And when I cry, I, I'm not as handsome as I normally am. I got that from you, Pastor. <laughs> oh, Lord. I got to close this thing out. So I've been reading scriptures to you about being kicked around. When you get kicked around long enough, sometime, at some point you say enough's enough and you draw the line in the sand. Uh, I'm that way right now with my left shoulder. Uh, when you get burned, you get calcium deposits. And... Both shoulders are loaded with calcium deposits, and they've been there for years, but they've grown worse and worse. And I had scheduled surgery for next Tuesday, a week from this Tuesday. Next Tuesday, I was scheduled for surgery. And they were going to cut both sides of the shoulder out and just take the whole shoulder out and put a new one in. I don't know who. I think it's metal. <laughs> I hope it's not somebody else's. <laughs> Poor guy. And then two weeks later, they're going to do the same thing on my other shoulder. Well, I have to get on the plane Saturday, after Tuesday surgery, get on a plane and fly to Washington and, and speak there. Well, I, I knew I couldn't do it, so I postponed it until Christmas when I have Christmas Sunday off. The only Sunday I take is Christmas Sunday and Mother's Day, and I forfeited Mother's Day for the first time because it hurt so bad. I didn't want to do Mother's Day anymore. Too many memories, so I don't, I don't speak on Mother's Day from now on. And uh, there's, there's things that push us into the corner, and, and you... You respond accordingly. Uh, I used to play the piano, not bad, I'll just put it that way. Uh, I followed after the style of Floyd Kramer. And one of his biggest songs ever was Last Date. Anybody remember that song, Last Date? Let me see your hand. None of you. <laughs> my, 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 boy, you guys are way up here in the north. <laughs> he was from Tennessee. Last Date is one of the most beautiful piano song. If I started to play it right now, you'd identify it. It's been around that long. Big time country music. No words, just last day. That was the first song I learned to play in the Floyd Kramer style. My wife loved it. I played it at her celebration of life after she passed away. And I made a commitment that I'd never play that song again because she was my last date. I made a promise and now I wish I hadn't because I like that song. So I made a compromise. I play it, but I never finish it. I never finish it. I leave the last few strokes off. I never finish it. Are there things in your life that have hurt you so badly that you keep putting your hand back on that stove? Why do I want to play that song again? Because it brings back a memory. Why did they send me downrange to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Bosnia, Kosovo, North Africa, South Korea, Okinawa, Japan? I can go on and on. Why do they send me? Because when they asked if I would go, I said, I'll volunteer. I'll do it. Why? 
because I was so addicted to the adrenaline of battle that I still look for that adrenaline hit. And they send me all over the world. I've been through four firefights in the modern day global war on terror. Why would I do that? Because I keep putting my hand on the hot stove. And somewhere, you see, I'm as vulnerable to this thing as you are. I'm not talking to you as some guru that has all the answers. It's never been down that road. I know what it's like. And I know what it's like for God to set me free. I know what it's like to say, devil, you're an idiot. I'm scared of heights anyway. The suicide question doesn't come up anymore. It just doesn't have any grip on me anymore. That demon's gone forever. I will never go down that path. As dark as it may be, there's light and hope in Jesus Christ. So when you get kicked around long enough, draw your line in the sand, and in your case, the snow. <laughs> I just thought of that. Because God is for you, not against you. Give the Lord a clap off of this. <laughs> so here's what I want to do to close. To kind of give you a little mood setting. I have a little video that it lasts three minutes and 40-something seconds. I'd like you to watch it. I showed it last year, but it's a video that lets you capture the mood of the man talking to you. Because I will never, ever allow the devil to get the last word. No, sir. He hits me once, I hit him twice. Hits me twice, I'm going to hit him four times. He hits me four times, I'm going to hit him 16 times. And what is that? It's called synergy. Synergy. Say it. Synergy. Exponential. One times one is one. Two times two is two is four. Four times four is 16, not four times two. If one puts 1,000 to flight, two put 10,000 to flight. God's an exponential moving God. I'm telling you, you are in for a shock when God delivers some of you. We are going to be delivered on this Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend. You are going to be blessed by the Almighty. Get ready. I want you to see how God has opened doors. One, you're going to see where they send me downrange. They are not, it's not identified because some of it was classified whenever we put the video together. I haven't gone back and changed it to uh, declassified. So, there, but if you've been downrange, you'll notice some of the places that, that you'll see in this video. Then you'll also, and they're in Afghanistan, Iraq, but the places in Afghanistan and in Iraq you'll recognize. And then you'll see the ranches that we built to bring our warriors to us so that we can change their lives outside the institutions, installations, hospitals, and hotel ballrooms. We bring them to us and keep them for a week at a time, sometimes five times a year, 10 times a year. And over the last 18 years, I've had some of them back more times than I can count, and their lives are transformed. They're preaching the gospel, building great churches in America today that I picked up out of the literal physical gutters, young veterans with no hope that looked at me and said, if you can make it, I can make it. And that's exactly what this message has been all about. Some of you have been kicked around, and if I can make it, you can make it. Then you'll see the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do for my country, and it wasn't survive being injured in Vietnam. It was to sit at some 19, 20, 21,000 feet in a C-130, grinding away the hours across the Middle East with an airplane full of caskets, 
of young men and women that gave their lives dying in valor on the field of battle to let us sit in this room for one more shot before they come in with machine guns one day and say, no more, you can never do this again. And that day is already on the calendar somewhere. And most of us in this room will still be alive when it happens. The pell-mell race we're running right now to lose the liberty that we're enjoying at this moment, paid for by the blood of men and women that loved us more than themselves. That day's coming. Are you ready for it? This is the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do is bring them home for internment. In this little video called Angel Flight. Would you please roll that video for me?
Freedom is not free, and it's the most overstated cliche in America today. But it's true, isn't it? We're going to get your hand off the hot stove this morning. Some of you have been kicked around long enough, and the cause that has been backshelved is about to take the front shelf again. You're going to find a refreshing and a brand new start that you've longed for for so long. But the hour has been so depressing and repressing and oppressing. I believe God's going to set you free from that this morning. I don't know how to make this happen, but I'm going to need help, pastors. If I can get a pastor on each corner of this platform. I want everybody to stand, if you would. I'm just going to let the Lord lead this thing. I'm, I'm excited about tonight because I believe there's something started this morning in the first service that's going to be traceable through tonight and even Wednesday night back here Wednesday night. I don't believe I'm here because I had no place else to go. I'm here because God appointed me to be here. He could have appointed anybody. I'm not the secret. It's just that I'm obedient to be here. I happen to be the one he blessed me to be here. You're here for the same reason. In obedience, we've shown up in the same place. And I was sharing this morning with several of the folks in the green room. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It doesn't mean obedience instead of sacrifice. They're not mutually exclusive. Obedience is better than sacrifice because it's without obedience what good is a sacrifice <laughs> you can sacrifice but if it's in disobedience it's meaningless so a sacrifice without obedience is lost but obedience makes the sacrifice acceptable we're going to be obedient this morning and I'm going to compliment you for staying with me it's like 12 1230 1233 you stayed with me this morning because you trust me you've shown your love for me and you've shown your love to me and I don't ever want to abuse that trust and love, but I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God this morning. I'm not one that knows how to flow in some things like others do so well in services around the front of a church because my calling is to the world. But today I'm called to this church. And here's what I feel God wants me to say to you, and I'm going to stand up and say it so I can see your eyes better. There are some of you going through a serious suicidal issue and a year ago you were dealing with the same thing and you didn't respond. You better respond today. If you're dealing with that darkness of oppression the enemy's put on you because of circumstances, you in your own cannot sustain the battle. In the war of attrition, you will fail without God. And with God, it's not a war of attrition to who outlasts who. 
that victory's already won. As I said in the first service, I read the book. I read the end of the book. How I many of you know what I mean when I say that? Well, you know what? I read the beginning of the book too. And I read the middle of the book. Everything between Genesis and Revelation, I've read it many, many times. You know why? You know what I learned? We win in Genesis. We win in Revelation. And we win in everything in between. You don't have to read the end of the book to find out we win. So we're not on a, a situation here where where do you fall in this end of things? No, we're in the beginning of things right now. I believe this is your chance for a new beginning and to get your hand off the stove. So to make this work, and again, I'm not good at it. I'm just going to be led, the best way I know to be led by the Holy Spirit, it's going to take your help to make it work because without you being obedient, and sacrifice means nothing. So here we go. If you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, if you're going through the same loop of depression over and over and over, you've been prayed for and we don't understand why you haven't got the answer, you feel depressed, you feel separated, you feel, and boy, do I use this word with a lot of meaning behind it. You feel lonely. I've never felt so lonely in my lifetime. The closest to the loneliness I've experienced in the last year and a half has been, the closest has been my memory of being alone in the jungle of Vietnam, sitting in an ambush as perimeter guard for a fiberglass boat with three men on it, and I'm 50 yards in the jungle alone. That is a scary alone. I would take 10 times that to not be alone today. So I know what lonely is if you're going through a lonely time. I want you to come. If you're going through suicidal thought time, I want you to come. If you're going through that looping of reliving the same old unforgiving, somebody hurt you and you just live it every day. You sleep it, you dream it, you eat it. It's, it's time to be set free. And if that's you in any of those categories, and if you're ashamed that you would be human enough to walk up here, you don't belong here anyway. Don't be ashamed of being a human that God made you. You're broken. I'm broken. I know what it's like. It's time to be healed. If you're ready, start walking. I want you to come up here and line up right across the front. I want you to face me. We're going to anoint you with oil and the anointing of oil laying on the hands and that yoke will be broken this morning. Come on down. Just line up. I'm going to have to sit down a minute while you're coming. Probably the strangest altar call you've ever heard given. We're going to get through it. Come on down. Oh, my, my, my. You help me. Keep coming. Make a second row. exception. Deliver everyone up. No exceptions. Deliver everyone up. Deliver them, God. Spirit of God, know their hearts today. 
just way bigger than I thought so we're going to have to have three of you anointing I can't get to all of you I'm sorry I wish I could would you say that please so all of our pastors and prayer team come help us pray we're going to go right down the line here and uh, Ian why don't you help him right there come on just lift your hands right there where you are let the Holy Ghost come touch your heart come touch your mind pastors ministers just begin to lay hands Every person, no exception. We release healing. With oil. Come on, stretch out your hands to these oh, today. Oh, Need God. healing in their power. God, release oh, your healing God. power. If you know how to pray in the spirit, I want you to pray in the spirit. We're going to contradict every. We're going to contradict every label the devil's put on these people. Don't let the world identify you. You are identified as a child of God. You are a child of God. Oh, oh Jesus. Church, stay in the unity you are in right now. Folks, you're in the most amazing congregation. I can't believe it. If you're standing there, would you just... Stay in that spirit of an attitude of prayer right now. <laughs> Lives are on the line right here. There are folks that are going to be set free that will walk out of here and live the rest of their life out the way it ought to be lived. Oh, God. Lord, I intercede on their behalf. Tears. God, I pray for those that did not come forward. While these came forward are being prayed for, I pray for those that did not, that wanted to but they're shy they're normally so shy they just couldn't do it i get it god i totally get it that's not going to separate them from the blessing you want to give them today i rebuke that spirit that attitude god i pray for all those broken vessels that could not find their way to come forward heal that brokenness oh jesus heal that brokenness restore the cause to get them through the hour Oh, God, restore the joy. <laughs> they can endure any cross when the joy is set before them. Lord, just like you, the humanity cries out, why am I forsaken? But God, you have not forsaken them. The victory is still there. Sunday's coming, Lord. Sunday's coming. In the name of Jesus, I pray for that resurrecting spirit of Christ to enter into every soul in this room. May the spirit of the risen Savior be in every heart and soul in this room without exception. No exception and no alternative. You and you alone, now and forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, the depression that has been driving some of these precious souls into darkness, I rebuke in the name of Jesus. I come against that depression, that oppression. And God forbid, if there's possession in the name of Jesus, we stand against it. And the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin, will, is, and forever will deliver those that are in bondage to it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus. God, I pray you'll heal the sick among us. God, even if that sickness has not been identified by a request for prayer, 
where they're standing right now, heal their broken bodies. Heal their broken spirit. Those that have been morally injured, their very core values have been attacked. I come against that in Jesus' name. That their morals will be healed and restored. Their values, those morals, those things that hold life together, that have been threatened by circumstances, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And they're free, free by the power of the Holy Spirit himself and the blood of Christ that was shed. Satan, you're a liar and the Lord rebuke you. The Lord himself rebuke you. We submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ and we rebuke you, Satan. You are and forever shall be defeated in the lives of these people. Their hand has come off the hot stove and it shall not be returned. God, this church knows how to pray. They know how to tarry before you. They know how to stand in your presence. They recognize holiness. They recognize the holy presence of a holy God among holy people. And God, you're rewarding us with our patience and our unity in the spirit. Right now, you're rewarding us with your delivering hand. Your delivering hand. you know this song, I want you to sing it with me. Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. And he sets me free. Let's sing it again, and if you could put harmony with it, it might help the musicians pick up on our unusual key here. <laughs> Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter and he set me free. I will shout hallelujah. I will shout hallelujah. Hallelujah, for he sets me free. Jesus breaks
Jesus breaks every fetter and he sets me free. I don't know why this moment comes so often to me today and last night as I was praying about these services today this story of an event that happened in Vietnam that I draw from my history of all the times God's intervened and this, this little thing's about timing, This is, it's a short story it's about timing moving when God says move I, you don't give altar calls like this and yet look at the response this is because God was speaking and you moved with God. I moved with God. And when we are obedient, God produces results. And one day, I was in my little riverboat. There were four of us on it. Forward gunner, aft gunner, a coxswain, and a midship gunner. The boat's only 30 feet long. It's less than the length of this building by far less. 30 feet. That's about the length of two of these pews put together, I guess. And... Uh, I, I was not yet boat captain, but my boat captain was standing in the middle of the boat and he wouldn't hold on to anything. And he and I were great friends. He was, a, he was a great higher than me, pay grade. But I could have fun with him. And he, he never held it against me. He was never in disrespect. He was in, well, I saw him stand and I, I was coxing that day. I firewalled it. Well, it flipped him clear off that and he landed down, <laughs> landed down in, the, in the floor and he looked up at me like, what did you just do? And the minute I did that, just in jest, a huge explosion took place on the riverbank. And we all looked over and there's a big plume of black smoke going up. Well, immediately everybody jumped to their guns and we swung the boat around. I did. I was coxing again. You know what that means. I was driving. And we headed straight for that explosion. Everybody's on their guns. We had two 50s in the front, one in the back, and two M60s in the middle. Everybody's, everybody's tensed up. We're ready for the battle because we know the enemy is there. And as I'm driving in, before I get too close, we want to get a better view of what's happening. I saw coming out of the tree line, the Arvins, Army Republic of Vietnam. These were our allies. These are the people that we were there to help fight the war. They were the Vietnamese Army. And they were laughing. And we're all tensed up, ready to pull triggers on people. We don't know what's going on. And a die that's a lieutenant, walked up, and he could speak English. I said, what's going on? He said, well, timing is everything. I said, what do you mean? He said, we've been chasing a zapper team of Viet Cong. With, they have these what were called B-40 anti-tank rockets. And we've been chasing them through the jungle. They didn't know we were back there. We've been pursuing them, and we knew if we could get to the water, they would have to cross why we catch them in the water well he said we got to the water they saw you we saw them seeing you they set up and they were just about to fire their rocket at your boat and all of a sudden you just took off that's when i flipped that's not the right word <laughs> that's whenever i caused my commander to fall down in the back of the boat having fun when i firewalled it we took off that very moment that Viet Cong squeezed the button on that rocket, 
And in pursuit of us, when he swung to keep up with me, he fired and there was a tree right in front of him. And the rocket exploded and killed the entire Zapper team. They were out to kill us. And I was having fun trying to knock my lieutenant over. Timing is everything. We seldom know what God's doing at the moment. We just know God's doing it. Trust your feelings, Luke. (laughs) I'm your father. Don't you get it? Don't you understand? When you move in the spirit like this, the result is life. Life. Lives are changed this morning. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.